a particularly fine specimen of a Christian, but, uh, you know, I think it takes a long time for any of us to become what we should be or even halfway there. Uh, so lots of ups and downs along the way, but I've always just been, uh, you know, uh, totally immersed in this whole uh, world of trying to understand the person of Jesus and love him better and and see the world in the light of that particular mind, which was the mind of God. That's that's our real task. Mm. Now, working in radio, I'm always trying to find the right questions to ask people, and I've got a cracker for you. Oh, yes. Are you ready for this one? Yes. Okay, now, being a doctor, you do a lot of work with organs, yes. but I also understand you work with organs in your church. <laughs> uh, look, not properly. Uh, I don't even use my pedals, but don't tell anyone that. No, no, but as I was just chatting to you before, and I, this, this is, you see... Um, I am a walking ecumenical movement. I I play at our next door little Anglican church one Sunday, then the next Sunday at my good Presbyterian friend Reverend Andrew Clark's church uh, the next Sunday, and then I go to my wife's little Catholic parish the next Sunday, and I I, I just play the organ there. And and so the the other Sunday is up for I think probably probably a sort of auction or, or tender. <laughs> we need an organ donor for the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, forgive me, but no, that is that is a wonderful example of uh, you know a doctor who's got a national, uh, you know, a national platform with what you do. But here you are at the local churches, playing the organ, serving. Uh, what a wonderful witness that is! And uh, I'm I'm curious to know a bit about uh, a few of the uh, roles you've had over the years. One I'd love to know about. In 1994, you were the Queensland Secretary for the World Federation of Doctors Who Respect Human Life. Tell us about that group. Well, it was started way back in the 60s or 70s uh, by, uh, by Jerome Lejeune, the great doctor who discovered the chromosomal basis of Down syndrome. He spent his life devoted to helping Down's babies and so on. And he uh, formed a big group of doctors, some 60,000 signed up to oppose, uh, I think it was a, a big uh, United Nations Population Congress that was going to try and bring in, you know, abortion and euthanasia as forms of population control. And so they were part of the effort to repeal that. So this organization stayed on and it was deeply uh, committed to the uh, Christian, Western, uh, Hippocratic tradition of medicine, you know, where in our great oath we say we will not give any potion that might cause an abortion and so on. So this was one of the great issues. And when I was <clears throat> young and coming through medical school, you know, I suppose I was pretty innocent in a way, and a series of shocks hit me. Uh, the first ever was when I read about the human embryo experimentation bill that was happening in 1985. Senator Haradine was trying to oppose it. He became a, a bit of a friend and someone I spent a lot of time with in the Senate in, in, in Canberra. That was one great shock. Then understanding the whole phenomenon of abortion, which as someone who, I know it's a tough area, Matt, but when you've had, uh, when you've known the love, uh, when you've seen three generations of mothers, say, you know, my mother, her mother, who I adored, the mother of my boys in particular, uh, you know, over these past decades, it just breaks your heart to think that that bond between mother and baby could be broken in this violent way, and you just strive to find ways to stop that happening. Uh, and that brings, you know, that, that took, as for many of us, takes an enormous amount of energy to try and work against that culture of death and try and build up the women who are in such desperate predicaments. That became a big thing. And it's really been a series of these things. And one of the great influences along the way was Australia's greatest ever Christian culture warrior. That was Bob Santa Maria, uh, who really was one of the great men in Australian public life ever. 
and I was lucky enough to know Bob a little, and he he asked, you know, he got me involved in another of his organisations, which was called Trust, and this was doctors and lawyers and others against euthanasia, and I was working in palliative care at the time in in Brisbane, so I had a lot of. Uh, time they're working to try and turn around and oppose the euthanasia practice in the Northern Territory and that was when I first got involved in the sort of political scene down in the Senate. Then there's been the RU486 debate, then there's been the the um, cloning debate. I was head of Australians for ethical stem cell research and we had a, a lot of work to do there. It just goes on and on. One day I'll have to jot it all down and sh- keep it from my grandchildren to wonder what the old fossil did when he was a lad. Well, it's wonderful to hear of your defence of the uh, the pro-life issues. Uh, it's such an important uh, issue that we, we need doctors like yourself to stand up and speak out about. The other area that you've really uh, been in the media a lot recently, you've uh, uh, been interviewed, you've written articles, you've uh, been involved in a lot, uh, as president of the Australian Marriage Forum. Uh, tell us about how you got involved in this group uh, in 2011. Well, once again, do you see how it's got the same emotional energy root? Because marriage, again, is fundamentally about violating the bond between mother and baby. It's exactly the same. The word matrimony comes from the word mother and the estate of being a mother. Marriage is built around the phenomenon of the pregnant woman. Uh, marriage derives from a word meaning in uh, its Indian roots, meaning young woman. So marriage itself is a phenomenon built around the fact that... Uh, men and women have babies and and you've got to protect the mother and you've got to protect the child so when you bring in this proposition that you can call the relationship of two men marriage that goes against every fiber of my being because what it means is that you are creating motherless families in law you are creating the ideal of motherless children because two men can now marry and therefore adopt and therefore create babies by surrogacy and therefore do whatever they like. And that violates what I consider the deepest bond in human life. And that remains the primary passion as to why I say no, no, no. Same-sex adults can live as they choose. They can call their relationship whatever they like, but it simply is not marriage because marriage is this great towering reality in nature, the great bringing together of the two halves of nature, Matt. You know, male and female are the yin and yang of, 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 of the cosmos. And bringing together the male and female in that one flesh union is the essence of marriage. And typically that union creates new life. Now that is the great project of marriage. That is the great project that only a man and woman can sign up to, and we do, and it is our greatest task. Now, whatever same-sex couples might do, good luck to them. It is not the same project, and it is not marriage. Now, a lot of Christians are afraid to speak up about this because we get labelled homophobes and bigots, and someone called me a breeder recently. Uh, you get, you get labelled all sorts of things, uh, but uh, it's a cause worth standing up for because there's a lot at stake. What, what would you say is at stake uh, in this battle? The main thing that's at stake is that uh, future children will be deliberately deprived of that fundamental relationship with their dad or with their mum. And for us to do that as an act of parliament is a grave injustice and an offence. And we simply must not do that. I say to people, have we never learnt from past offences we've caused to children, like policies of forced adoption where we took babies away from their teenage mothers, and we've apologised for that. So let's not do it again, a whole new way of violating this bond between a child and their mum and dad. That's number one. It's an injustice. 
But the harms of homosexual marriage go much further because regrettably these serious ideal, ideologues, the homosexual activists who know what they're doing, don't really care about marriage. That's a sort of patriarchal thing for breeders, as you said. But what they know is that once you get homosexual marriage in law, you have got the big stick of anti-discrimination law to silence the churches, to suppress conscientious objection, and to enforce approval by society of everything homosexual, everything radically sexualized. That is the necessary culture war that they want to win. And we get little foretastes of it in the intrusion of this hideous safe schools coalition program in our schools, which teach our children the most repulsive. You know, you just want to go and read some of it to realize the indecencies that they are in, in imposing on our children now. But we can object at the moment, Matt, when homosexual marriage is law, regrettably, our objections will be overruled as they have been overseas, and rather radical homosexual education will be imposed on all our children, whether parents like it or not. I happen to be one who doesn't like it, and so I find that a grave harm of this matter. And the third one is more relevant to pastors and like yourself, which is that um, you, know, you can shut the church down. Uh, as, you've, as they've done to a fellow I met two weeks ago, the delightful Archbishop Julian Porteous in, in Hobart. I shared a platform with him and Senator Erica Betts. Uh, and he has been taken, or you know, has a complaint lodged with the Anti-Discrimination Commission, you know, the thought police of Hobart, by the great activist for the gay lobby, Rodney Croom. And his crime, Matt, the, uh, the Archbishop's crime, was to be part of the Catholic Bishops Conference who sent a very beautiful booklet called Don't Mess With Marriage to all the Catholic schools in Australia to give to their parents. So you've got Christian leaders teaching Christian doctrine to Christian schools and their parents, and that is now something to be taken to the thought police for. Mm. And that, I'm afraid, is just a harbinger of things to come. As the Gospel says, if men do these things when the wood is green, what will they do? when the wood is dry. Mm. Mate, the last question I'd like to ask, uh, I'm just uh, wanting you to take off your doctor's hat, take off your uh, activist hat, and just speak to me as a Christian brother now. Uh, if you had the chance to spend a few minutes just sharing briefly with someone who is a homosexual, yes, uh, and I, I recently had to spend an hour um, uh, talking through uh, with a young man who was very confused about his sexuality, and just to share with him uh, my heart, uh, in love, uh, what the scriptures say. Uh, you know, just just give us a, a little bit of a snapshot. How would you share with uh, someone who is wrestling with their sexuality? How would you speak to them in love right now? Well, I'd never speak to them about that unless they asked me to. If they asked, then what well, would you say if they really asked? They ask me pretty hard because I'm very shy to talk about things. <laughs> you know, I certainly couldn't do it as a doctor, and I couldn't do it as a you know, I'm not their pastor, I'm not their parent, but if they really wanted to talk, if they were a fellow a friend in the church, for example, or just, a, you know, someone I knew, mm. I, I would say, listen, hey, don't ever think that your particular sexual orientation or instincts or whatever, don't go thinking that that is who you are. That does not define you. You, like me, like everyone else, is a poor, confused little creature who's here for a short while and then we're dead. And in that brief period of life, we are under God's providence. We are known and loved by him. When we're gone, when we're finished, we will still be known and loved by him. That is what, I did. That is what defines us 
as beings who are known and loved by God. It is the only thing that defines us as the image of God stamped on our soul. Nothing like your sexual orientation or your social status or your, your whatever. Um, so that would be my starting point. I do not see people as homosexuals or heterosexuals. I find that irritating. I see them with the same, um, I don't know if the word compassionate or the same sort of slightly tragic eyes that I see everyone with. Because as a doctor, you know full well how transient and confused we are as human beings and how fragile we are and how the most beautiful young people or even babies are just taken and gone. So frankly, I have no time for um, classifying people according to their sexual orientation. So that'd be the sort of, that'd be the gist I'd give to someone that I see them as my brother or my sister and my fellow traveler and my fellow, you know, um, creature of, of our loving father. That is my instinct towards them. And from that, of course, anything they want to talk about, I'd talk about, but I'd be very, I'd be very keen, Matt, to just point out to them uh, that they must clear from their heads certain crippling falsehoods that the society's probably told them. And the, the, the number one is that somehow they are, they are determined biologically, they are born that way. Now, we know from the science that that's simply false. We know from twin studies, we know from any number of studies. It's just a sheer nonsense. And even the great academic societies acknowledge there's no scientific basis. So you're not born that way. And what that means is that if you, through your faith, through your moral convictions, do not like these homosexual impulses, you just feel they're wrong and you wish you didn't have them, well, I would never say it's easy to change because it is not. But I would say, Matt, that I know people and I know that this individual can reduce and modify their unwanted impulses to some extent, sometimes a very great extent, and they can maximize the identity that they want, the orientation that they want to some extent and perhaps to a very great extent. And I would say to them, don't ever despair because um, there is always people who will stand with you and help you along this way. And my simple advice, Matt, to, to a person like that is, yes, as a Christian, you've got to live a chaste life. Uh, if you've got these impulses, that's not your fault. You didn't ask for them. But like all of us, you can't act wrongly in the sexual world. I can't, Matt. You can't. No one else can. Unless, as Christian people, we live in that sphere of sexual relations within marriage, then it is just not on for any of us. And so having given that challenge to this young person, I'd say, look, hey, it's hard and we're going to be with you on this, um, but the life lived nobly and bearing this heavy burden of a sexual orientation and impulse that distresses you is, I think, one of the great noble lives lived. And I, I'm thinking of an individual right now who is a Christian woman and who lives that way, chastely and in some grief. So in a very long-winded way, Matt, that is the sort of discussion I'd have, but only, and I repeat, only if they really wanted to have it, because I'm very, very shy about talking about these things. Well, I think you're a history maker. We've been talking to Dr. David Van Gend. The website is davidvangend.com. And if people want to find out more about the Australian Marriage Forum, what's the website? Oh, yes, getting back to that, uh, that is australianmarriage.org. And our Facebook site is very busy. Please join us. Please go look at all the latest stuff uh, at Australian Marriage Forum at, at Facebook. Thank you so much, David. God bless. Good on you, Matt. Bye. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. 
There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.